You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, dedicated to cultivating a just and generous expression of the Christian faith. How many people, and be honest with me, all right, how many people like truly, really love the Bible? Uh, Yeah, that's what I figured. (laughs) That's what I figured. I figured it'd be like four of you. Um, yeah, no, it, it, the Bible, it, it's, it's a little difficult, right? It, uh, and it's hard to understand, it's hard to make out. I, I really, truly love it. I love the scriptures. I believe there's great truth in the scriptures. I believe that scriptures are inspired by God. I believe that scripture reveals so much to us. God reveals so much to us through scripture. I absolutely believe this. I think they are filled with amazing things. Like, so I had a pastor friend, and I think I told you guys this one time, I had a pastor friend who was like, I don't think we should watch Game of Thrones because I think it's pretty violent. And I was like, bro, you're not reading your Bible. I was like, you got to read that thing, man. Like the story of David alone makes Game of Thrones look like Teletubbies. Like go read <laughs> David right now. Go check it out and then come back and tell me that that's not true. Um, and so at Forefront, we absolutely believe in the power of Scripture. We believe in the authority of Scripture. You've heard me stand up here and say, oh my gosh, Scripture's so good. Um, And we're unapologetic about the way that we use scripture. We believe scripture is where God reveals stuff to us in our church and helps us where we're going, right? So in this Forefront Is series that we're taking part in right now, um, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about um, a journey that we've been on, and specifically my journey, my journey towards the way uh, that I've sort of learned to read scripture to where I've been able to become one of these people raising my hands when, when I say, what do you think, do you really like the Bible? Like, I sort of was like most of you in this room before. I was like, meh, not so much. But this has been a crazy journey that I've been on. And before I get to this journey that I think not only informs how I've read scripture, but I hope will impact you in the way that you start to read scripture, I'm gonna lay out the ground rules just like I did last week, okay? Who was here last week? Enough of you? Yeah, not that, not that many of you, not that many. Um, last week, ground rule number one. Uh, Uh, listen, we are way more interested in asking good questions rather than having right answers. And what we mean by that is this place is big enough for you. This place is big enough for your questions. It's big enough for your doubts. It's big enough for you when you feel like God is not at work in your life. It's big enough for when you don't even believe there is a God, okay? We want you to come here to this place. Um, We believe this place is big enough for you when you believe God is absolutely at work, when your spiritual growth is just accelerating and your your spiritual maturity is off the charts. This is the place for you. We want you to sit with this and we want you guys to interact and have questions for one another, talk to one another, okay? Um, That's true. That's number one. Number two, unity and not uniformity. We unapologetically stand on Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ's uh, life, death, resurrection, and the amazing grace that comes with it all. We stand there. We're a Christian church. Everything else, the, the, the doctrine that comes along with that, that we want debate. We encourage it. We encourage the questions. We encourage the back and forth. In fact, in Jesus' community, that's exactly what they did. They called it Midrash. Anybody? Midrash? Anybody? Huh? Yeah? Huh? Anyway, we have a podcast that we named Midrash. For some reason, we were told a lie at some point that not only at church did you have to be unified in Christ, but you had to be uniform across the board in all your doctrine. I don't believe it, all right? Unity and not uniformity, okay? It's okay to disagree with the things that I said. Um, Also, you have a piece of paper on your chair. This piece of paper, I want you to write down questions you have about our church, 
questions you write down about the Bible, questions that you, have, uh, that you wanna write down about theology, about anything. I got a question last service. It said, what's up with the fact that a bear mauled children in the Bible? Okay, like ask anything you want, all right? Be willing to do that. And what you're gonna do is you're gonna come up, you're gonna put them in these baskets, okay? And then October 9th, we're gonna compile all your questions and we're gonna spend the majority of our service answering those questions, okay? So like I said last week, if you're not writing questions, October 9th is gonna be a super awkward service, all right? I need you guys to help me here. I need you guys to do that. All right, so forefront is, forefront is scripture. Where's forefront going in terms of scripture? What kind of journey are we on? And again, like I said, I was on a journey. I was on a scriptural journey. And my journey has been about seven years. So what you hear today, you have to understand that what I'm telling you today is in 27 minutes what I've done in seven years, okay? And so if you have lots of questions or if you have lots of thoughts or if you're like, I don't think that's right, that's all okay, all right? I'm coming to you from having like taken the journey, not like starting it, all right? Does that make sense? And so what I'm about to tell you is for me to love the Bible, for me to understand that the Bible was truth, the Bible was inspired, for me to understand that, that God is still revealing stuff to us through scriptures, there were parts or ideas of scripture that I had to throw out. I had to get rid of. Now I'm gonna rephrase that because I didn't throw out parts of scripture, I threw out ideas on how to read scripture. That's the stuff I had to throw out. Not the Thomas Jefferson Bible where he cut the little things out, <laughs> cut the parts out he didn't like. Okay, so, but for me, to, in order to throw out these ideas, I was able to bring life and inspiration and God's truth back to the scripture. So I'm gonna tell you some of this stuff I threw out in hopes that you get to a better idea of what it could look like when there's great hope and truth and love in reading the Bible. Okay, you got it? I feel like I'm trying to set you up so that la first service, everybody was like, oh God. Like everybody, like <laughs> there was like panic on people's faces, like, oh no. So I'm just trying to be gentle here. So in my own journey, I grew up in a church that believed in reading the Bible fundamentally. The words on the page were what they said. They were fact. You don't mess with them. And, and I, I, I got into a bit of a crisis. And it was a crisis that actually uh, uh, led me to leave the church. I left the church for about seven years because I felt like I couldn't trust the scripture anymore. It didn't make any sense anymore. And so when I came back to the Bible and I came back believing that it was a book full of truth and inspiration, here's what I got rid of. The first thing I got rid of when I decided that I could read scripture with a lens towards God's re revelation was the need to stop reading, to, to read scripture as a scientific textbook. Let me say that another way. I stopped reading scripture as a scientific textbook, okay? Uh, I grew up in a, a church where, you know, the earth is 6,000 years old and defend it, okay? And, and I was like, okay, but there's so much evidence on the contrary, really good evidence on the contrary that tells me otherwise. I guess I should defend this to the point where I was going, wait, this does not make much sense. In fact, I don't think the, church, the earth is 6,000 years old, but my learning was that you read it like a textbook. There was fact there. You were able to glean information. Um, Galileo, how many people know Galileo? Yeah, excommunicated from the church. <laughs> why? History people, why? Yeah, there you go, heliocentrism. Well, he, yeah, he, so he said, no, 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 he said, the, the earth revolves around the sun, and everybody said, no, in Joshua, it says the sun stood still, you're an idiot, you're excommunicated. Um, that's what happens when we read scripture as fact, right? Uh, Darwin, um, you know what I love? I love those little ichthuses on the back of people's cards, like the Jesus ichthus, and it's eating the Darwin one. Ah. <laughs> That always changes my mind. I'm sure it changes your mind as well, <laughs> right? Oh, but it's right, Jesus is the one who eats Darwin. Um, no, but we've, what we've done is we've pitted ourselves against one another 
And uh, when pitting ourselves against one another, we've sort of taken away the fact that Darwin actually had some pretty decent theories. He had some, and some of them are actually really true. Like some of them actually make sense. They're, they're now proven that this is the way a species will, will come up and evolve. And yet we've made it a one or the other because it doesn't talk about that in scripture. Right? And so we read scripture as this, as this textbook that can give us scientific information. Now I'm going to tell you this can be detrimental. And I'll tell you why it can be detrimental. I think it's detrimental especially when it comes to mental health. Because I know that there have been many people who have had real mental health issues, chemical imbalances, severe depression, disorders, and everything else, and they've been told by Christians, just go read that passage and know that God loves you and you'll be fine. Well, that's dangerous. I was 20 years old, I got kicked out of school, I was in a bad place, I, had, I was depressed, and I went to a Christian counselor and he went, I think you're going through all this because you have a demon. And I was like, wow, oh, well, okay. Um, and I don't know what to think about demons, but I needed help and that wasn't it at that time. And I think when we look at, when we look at scripture as a scientific textbook, we can go to someone with bipolar disorder and say, you're loved by God, it'll be okay. When there are chemicals in our brain telling us otherwise. That's a dangerous thing. Maya Angelou has this poem where she talks about soaring on eagle's wings. Does anybody remember or heard this poem? I can't think of the name of it. it talks about that. When we read that poem, we don't read this poem and go, Maya Angelou, you read a poem of soaring on eagle's wings. I wonder if I can figure out the nocturnal mating pattern of the eagle in this poem. We won't do it because it's a poem. It expresses a different kind of truth. Greatest rap album ever to exist, exist? Nas Illmatic. <laughs> Go buy it right now if you haven't bought it. I'm serious. Take out your phone and buy it now and listen to it. <laughs> it's that good. And you know, you're listening to Nas Illmatic. You're not going to be like, uh, oh, what's the geographical distance between Queensbridge and Bed-Stuy? You're not going to do that. There's truth in the album, but it, that's not the kind of truth you're looking for. Yet every day we look in our textbook and we say, this textbook can provide facts and information and scientific truth in the midst of poetry. That's what Genesis is. Or in the midst of a battle hymn, which is what the story of Joshua is. And we stop seeing the truth for what it is, but we pick it apart and we see all these little things. There's truth in the beauty and beauty in Joshua. There's truth in beauty in Genesis. We miss it, trying to make it a scientific book. I had to get rid of that idea. What else did I have to get rid of? I had to get rid of the idea that the Bible is an ethical rule book. I had to get rid of that idea. Now let me clarify, because I absolutely believe that the Bible teaches us uh, how to live ethically. I really believe that. I mean, look at the life of Jesus. I try to live ethically based on the life of Jesus, okay? So uh, that's one thing. I believe that the Bible can, can tell us what it looks like morally, okay? What moral, good morals look like. I absolutely believe that, okay? Uh, I believe that the Bible shows us what, what struggle with sin looks like, that there's pain that comes from that. I believe that too. But the Bible is not an ethical rule book. So for instance, we cannot turn to 2 Corinthians and it says, women, uh, you know, do not speak in church for it's better to remain silent and say, that's it. There's the rule. Women, don't speak in church. Better stay silent. We can't, we can't turn wherever and say, oh, there, it says it, there it is. So we can't do that. And if you do that, you're going to be uh, in really big trouble with God. You can't do that. And if you're going to do that, then you've got to be consistent in doing that. All right? You have to, if you're going to turn, you're going to say, this is the rule book. You've got to be consistent with the rules. Well, the rules are pretty crappy, actually, when you start to look at it. I'll give you an example. Deuteronomy. Your very own brother or your son or your daughter or the wife you love, your closest friend secretly entices you saying, let's go and worship other gods, um, uh, other people's gods. Do not yield to them or listen to them. Show them no pity. 
Do not spare them or shield them. You must certainly put them to death. Your hand must be the first in putting them to death and the hands of all the people. Well, what's the rule? If we're going to consistently look at this as an ethical rule book, well, if you're not believing what I'm believing, I'm going to kill you. Then I'm going to get some other people to kill you as well. Right? That's messed up. It's messed up. It makes a certain presidential candidate who wants to divide people based on whether they're good or bad seem sort of normal, right? It makes uh, uh, this person, and this is awful, this is awful, but there was a terrible man who burned a woman wearing Muslim garb in Midtown this week, and thank God she wasn't hurt, but that, that passage, if we're going to take this as an ethical rule book, would seem to condone that, right? Now, luckily, this is not an ethical rule book. What this is is a story about, about uh, Israel trying to, to remain free, coming out of slavery, and doing their best not to get caught back up in slavery, okay? But when we look at it as an ethical rule book, then we have to come and look at this and say, well, it says it on the page. What am I supposed to do with this? Now, some of you might be going, well, that's an Old Testament thing. What about the New Testament? I got some New Testament ones for you right here. Uh, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Slaves? All right. They'll obey. It's all right. Slavery is okay, right? Holy crap, there's such an issue with that, isn't there? My favorite one, though, of all time, and the one that people email email me about constantly, do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That is said by Jesus, and I cannot begin to tell you the number of people who say, Jonathan, that's proof that Jesus would have been part of the NRA, or that's proof that he would have done this, or proof that he believes in violence, or proof that he believes in war. And I'm like... I just can't right now, friend. I can't. I'll talk to you about it later. It's the furthest thing from the truth, but we'll get to that in a second. But when you're reading like it's an ethical rule book, well, then you have to take into account all these different things, and you have to be consistent across the board in the way that you you read it. And then what we find out is the Bible does not speak explicitly to it. It alludes to things, but does not speak explicitly to other things. It doesn't speak explicitly to abortion. It doesn't speak explicitly to pornography. It doesn't speak that way towards uh, climate change. It doesn't speak that way... uh, Um, uh, towards same-sex attraction, which is a little bit different than than same-sex action. It doesn't speak to that. It doesn't speak to uh, prison crisis. It doesn't speak to war. It alludes to those things. But here's what the Bible does speak very specifically about. It permits rape. It permits uh, uh, torture. It permits atrocities. It permits the bashing of babies' heads against rocks. It permits oppression against women. It permits oppression against lower classes. It permits or or it denies uh, interracial marriages. Seems like it's a little bit backward, right? You can't use this as an ethical rule book. The problem with the Christian church throughout the centuries is the church has held on to every one of those things and said it's okay, and the rest of society comes along and goes, you know what, it's no longer okay. It's no longer okay to keep a woman hostage and kidnapped and then rape her. That's no longer okay, and the church comes around and goes, oh, all right. Well, I guess God didn't mean it then. It's no longer okay to have slavery. We won, we won the war. The slave, we freed the slaves. Oh, all right, I guess. I guess I'll have to free mine too. God changes mine, I suppose. Like, this is what we do as a church. That's what happens when we're reading this as an ethical rule book. And that doesn't work for me. Here's what um, I also had to fix. And this one feels, I don't know if it feels the hardest. It, was, it took a lot for me to get here. But I, I think for me, in order to read Scripture as truth and as revelation, uh, I had to get rid of the fact that, that people say the Bible is inerrant. What does it mean for the Bible to be inerrant? I'm going to tell you. 
the Bible uh, in biblical inerrancy. It was formulated by a Chicago statement uh, on biblical inerrancy, which is this college called Moody Bible College. And it, it, it says this, it's the doctrine that the Bible is without error or fault in its teaching, or at least that uh, scripture in its original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. So basically, if you're going to boil this down, it says that your original manuscripts, what you got originally, was fact. And you could base everything that you needed to base off that. Okay? So I've already talked to you about how that's a bit of an issue when it comes to science. I've talked to you how that's a bit of an issue when it comes to being an ethical rule book. Now I need to add in the fact that there are contradictions in scripture. Not just one, not just two, but hundreds of contradictions in scripture. So if this in fact is inerrant and everything in the, in the original translation is true and to fact and should be agreed upon, then we have some real problems. For instance, who is Jesus' grandfather? Because Matthew says, Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was born to Jesus, who is called the Christ. So Jacob is the grandfather of Jesus. But then in uh, Luke, it says, Jesus himself began to, began to be about 30 years of age, being as he was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. Okay. If you're looking at the Bible as fact, as inerrant, well then, which one is it? Is it Heli or is it Joseph? Who's his son? Or who's his grandfather? I don't know. That's a problem. How about Jesus' last words? Because Matthew says Jesus' last words uh, were, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Luke says that Jesus' last words were, Father, unto your hands I commend my spirit. And John says Jesus' last words were, it is finished. And then he died. So what were Jesus' last words? We got an issue. Three different books say three different things. If your Bible is inerrant, well, then you're constantly dealing with contradiction. And here is what happens when we say the Bible is a textbook or the Bible is a moral code book or the Bible uh, is inerrant. The problem is we do what my friend and mentor Brian McLaren says we do. He says we take it and it no longer becomes a Bible. All it is is a legal constitution. That's all it becomes. Here's what he says when he talks about a legal constitution. He says a legal constitution will quote sections, paragraphs to prove points. It uses verses, subparagraphs to win arguments. It uses past precedent to make others obsolete. It means that we view it as an annotated code. And it means that we interact with scripture like we would in a courtroom looking for proofs, arguments won, and everything else that goes with that. I would say what happens is, is when we read the Bible like a legalized constitution, we actually miss the truth that God intends in scripture. We actually miss what the Spirit is doing. We actually miss the inspired words of God. And I'll try to give you an example that sort of helps us today. Let's say that, um, let's say that uh, somebody in this room loved the worship that they just heard. They loved the worship, and they were so moved by the worship. It moved them in such a way it felt like the Spirit was sort of on them. Like they, they loved it. And they went home, and they started writing. And they started writing, and they started writing... Um, in their, in their journal, and it, some of it was like poetry, some of it was like stream of consciousness, some of it sounded like lyrics, but one of the things that you wrote when you got home because you were so moved by the worship is you wrote, my goodness, God moved me in such a way that God, uh, you know, like I, I had to just get in the bath and light candles and continue to thank God, and that made God happy. He said something like that, okay? Now, let's say that 600 years from now, somebody finds your journal, about the truth that you wrote today, the truth that you had where, where God spoke to you through worship, where the Spirit was upon you in worship, where you were giving thanks to God in worship, and they saw it and they went, wow, this person uh, was giving thanks to God in worship, and it looks like God led them to the bath to, to, to praise God, and, and God would, would like that. Uh, I think we should probably all start taking a bath with candles, 
And then everybody goes, well, how many candles? I don't know, 15, 20? And they're like, no, it's 36. We're starting our own church over here. And then the other person goes, well, we have to do it. What day are we going to do it? And one person says Saturday. Another says Sunday. Well, you are starting our church over here and over here. And then somebody goes, but it makes God happy. So make sure you get in the bath. Make sure you light the candles. It makes God happy. That's what we do. We have missed the point entirely, haven't we? We've missed the truth. What was the truth? The truth was that the Spirit was upon us, showing us how infinite and great and unimaginable God's love is for us. That was the truth. And yet we made it about something completely different. That is what we do with the Bible. That is what we've been doing with the Bible. It's time to change the way we read the Bible. When I first kind of came to this realization, I was like, man, I just need to throw this whole thing away. None of it matters. This Bible's not true. It's just a bunch of stories. Uh, And I left the church, like I said, for about seven years. And then I just felt like that was immature and wrong. And there's something here. There's truth still here. And I don't want to throw the whole thing out. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Then I uh, uh, came back to church and I said, you know, here I'm looking at scripture differently. And and this is how I feel. And people will go, "Are, are you still a Christian? And I'd be like, I don't know. I'm just saying. Like, I feel differently. This is what I think God's speaking through Scripture. And they would double down on the old way. They'd double, nope, you're wrong. Just read this passage, repent, and you'll be fine. And I was like, that doesn't work either. Is there a third way to read the Scriptures? And so here's the hope that I want to give you today. Because I believe this is incredibly hopeful. I think there is a third way to read the Scriptures. And I think there's a way to capture the beauty and the goodness that comes in our Scriptures. The truth that comes in our Scriptures. And like I said, this is, I've been doing this for a long time. And now I get paid to do it. So, you know, so I, I get the opportunity to like think about it and talk about it. So this is just going to be the beginning for you. But there is a way to look at it. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to stop looking at Scripture as a legal constitution where there's textbooks and all this other stuff. I want us to see it as a library. Okay, that's the first thing I want you to do. Look at it as a library. It is a collection. Think about it as walking into a giant room and for the past however many thousands of years, you get access into what people thought about God, the way people responded to God, the way that God maybe responded to them, maybe the way that God moved peace. You get access to stories and poems and music. You get access to letters, love letters, weird love letters. You get access to to accounts and you get access to regular letters of people fighting and doing all these things. You get access to all of it and that's the overarching truth that God wants from you. God doesn't want you down waiting in the weeds with a magnifying glass going, which word means that and this? No, there is a big truth to what's happening in this library. That's what God wants you to see. That is the truth. That is what's inspired. So if that is the case, then what we have to do is when we look at Scripture, we go, oh my gosh, like these people writing it at the time were like us. They were the ones writing after they were inspired by God. And so like I said with Genesis, it's not, well, we can factually figure out when the earth was created. No, it's we're exiled into Babylon and we want to show that we still have our God and we still believe in the God who's infinite and unimaginable. And so we're going to write a beautiful poem about how we were created and how we'll continue to move and have our being. And instead of sitting there and going, well, Deuteronomy talks about killing people. Well, yeah, it does. And it's kind of messed up. But did you know that Moses for Deuteronomy was literally singing. He was singing to millions of people. And it was basically a song that was basically a song that was going, hey, you are now free. And in your freedom, don't fall back into slavery. You've been made free by God. God loves you. You're free. And so when we read the crazy verses like kill somebody who wants you to go worship with them, basically he's giving you a metaphor on, hey, don't lose your freedom. Don't let that happen to you. Okay? That's what's going on. That's beautiful. 
there's beauty in this idea of don't lose the freedom that you have. And when we read, uh, you know, Jesus, when he, in Matthew 10, 34, when he says, I don't come to bring peace, but I come to bring the sword, that's amazing to me. And here's why it's amazing, because Jesus is saying to all these leaders, all these people who are looking at the letter of the law, all of them who are reading the Bible like a legal constitution, he's saying to them all, you think me telling you a new way to read scripture is going to bring peace? It's going to divide. It's probably going to mess people's heads up a little bit. We like it when it's neat. We like it when it all makes sense. And the truth of the matter is they kill him. They kill him because it was pretty messy, because it did divide, because it wasn't neat. But here's the deal. Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' time on earth gives us a beautiful lens in which to look at Scripture. It's this lens of unending love where love is always winning. It's a lens where we constantly say, how do we see God at work through Jesus to bring peace after peace after peace? I always say at this church, God loves us so much, God wants to work with us to bring peace to this place. That is the lens which we get to read Scripture. How am I reading this in such a way where I can see how it brings peace to this place? Right? So now it's not about women remain silent, um, remain silent because of, you know, men are better or whatever the case may be. It's, huh, Paul was doing something there that he knew might get that church killed. That wouldn't bring peace. So he's trying to help them by not getting them killed. What do I need to do now to bring our church peace and stop us from being killed? Does that make sense? There's, there's a new way of looking at it. You're always moving towards peace. You're always moving towards love. Jesus does the same thing. He's talking to the, to the Pharisees and he goes, hey, you've heard it said about scripture, but I say, and so he would say, you've heard it said about scripture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And everybody's like, yep. And he goes, no. I say if somebody strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek, let them hit you. If somebody, if somebody takes, your, takes your cloak or your tunic, give them your cloak as well. That's what I say. There's a new way of looking at scripture and it's coming through a new lens. It's a lens of love and it's a lens of peace and it's a lens of never ending grace. That's the, that's the way it goes. And when we read this library with these new lenses, all of a sudden, the, the stuff doesn't matter. The, the, the contradictions don't matter. Who cares who Jesus' grandfather was? Was it Jacob? Was it Heli? Or is scripture showing us that God loves us so much that God uses people who aren't even named or unnamed or confused in name to bring out the greatest of glories? And if that's the case, then God's using us to do the same thing, and that's the truth of scripture. And maybe it doesn't matter what the last words uh, of Jesus Christ were. Maybe what God is trying to tell us, maybe the truth of scripture is that there is a God who loves us so much that this God is willing to suffer with us so that we'll never ever say, God, you don't know what it feels like. And God goes, I do, listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying. It is finished. Why have you forsaken me? You hear me groaning and giving up my spirit. I've been there with you. That's how much I love you. That's the peace I want for you. That's the love I want for you. That's the lens in which you read the scripture. And you go through scripture and you're sitting there and you're going, is it possible that, that, that you know, what we're reading is not just a rule book, but it's alive and it's always moving and it's always revealing and it's midrashing. Let's get back to that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to start midrashing together. I want you, if you aren't in a small group, get in one immediately, okay? And what I want you to do is I want you to go through these scriptures with this new lens. And I want you to say, what's the bigger truth that God's revealing to me? What's the bigger pieces that God's trying to show me? Not the little down in the weeds with my magnifying glass, but what are the questions? What are we wrestling with? What doubts do we have? What do we feel like we might be getting wrong? What do we feel like we're getting right? And God, your spirit is big enough for all of it. That's what I want us to do. That's what midrashing is. That's what Jesus did. You know my favorite story of Midrash? 
you have to read the same stuff every year. And what the rabbis will require you to do, they require Jesus to do this as well, they require you to reinterpret what you've read from the year before because they say that God is big enough that God's always going to reveal stuff through you in the past year and that you will be changing, changing in God. And that to me is good news because that's the living scripture. That's the living book. I challenge you to do that. Get involved, read, wrestle, react together. Um, I was talking with this couple last week and they joined a small group and they, they said to me, they said we were walking away and as we walked away from small group, they said to one another, this is it. This is what we've been looking for, the questions, the beauty of getting together and figuring out who God is in our lives and how to be used by God. And I love that. I was like, our church is on to something. I, I want to see you do it too, and I'll leave you with this quote. The quote is this. It says, uh, it's from a guy named Claudio Oliver, who's a pastor down in Brazil, and he says, the truth of the Bible is not what you, is not what you find in the reading truth of the Bible is not you sitting there by yourself. Truth is, in the, the Bible comes from God at work in the community where the Bible is faithfully wrestled with and not read, but really, really heard. So it may be with our church. Let's begin this journey. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you for the grace that comes from falling down and getting back up, and the grace that comes from our imperfection, and the grace that comes from oppressing others in your name and the grace that comes from hurting others because of words on a page. And Lord, help us to see that you are alive through scripture, that you are constantly on the move, that you are constantly at work, um, that you're constantly speaking to us. Give us the ears to hear. We pray this in your name. Amen.